And, um, you know, before we get started, I just wanted to share some really good news with each one of you. Any of you who have vision problems, and this is a promise, any of you who have vision promises, any vision problems, within two and a half months, you'll be seeing 2020. No, it's going to be the year 2020. Oh, you guys are slow. You guys are slow. I got that from Reggie, actually. Hey, can't believe you didn't get that. (laughs) Oh, okay. Anyway, um, Operation Christmas Child. We have the uh, boxes out there. You know, you know what was neat? We ran out. We ran out, and so we had to get more. So there are boxes out there for Operation Christmas Child, and it's a wonderful opportunity for us to um, put something together for the most needy around the world. And uh, you can choose uh, whether it's a boy or a girl. You can choose the age group and fill these boxes up. These kids, if you would have seen the film last week, these kids are just overwhelmed by what they get. And so I encourage you to do that as well. And also, in your um, bulletins, there is a little form you can fill out of areas that you might be willing to help around the church. You know, it's nice to have um, just a bunch of folks who are able to help take care of different things in in our fellowship. There's buildings and grounds. There's office administration. There's, you know, working with children, all kinds of things. So we really encourage you to make sure you fill out uh, one of those as well. And I think that's all the announcements that I have. I don't know. Is there something wrong, Frank? No, just the audio. Just the audio. Just the audio. <laughs> Father, we come before you in Jesus, Yeshua's name, and how thankful we are for your love, how thankful we are for the salvation that we share together and the absolute knowledge of knowing that one day, very soon, we're going to be with you for all eternity. And so, Father, I pray that as I break open this portion of Scripture, I would really minister to the hearts of each one here, that they might be encouraged in in all of your ways. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come in all of his power and minister to us. And, Lord, we pray for revival. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Um, we're in Leviticus chapter 21, but you know, before I get started, there's just something that I, I want to be sharing with each one of you, and of course, it's um, right before uh, Vi and I, because we're redoing uh, the book on Revelation a little bit. I actually pulled it offline because um, we, I found some some mistakes that I made, errors I made, but the biggest problem is... I assume everyone knows what I'm thinking. Have you ever done that? And, and I'm, I'm bringing out points that I'm thinking everyone's going to look at and say, sure. But then other people have been reading through it and saying, what do you mean? And when I explain it, oh, okay. So anyway, we're, we're going to explain some of those, oh, okays to everyone. And... Um, so we're hoping that within the next couple of weeks it'll be back online and we're going to have uh, hard copies made of it as well. So if anyone would like to purchase one or uh, buy one for someone else. Because the thing we have to understand is the book of Revelation, the, the book is uh, called Revelation Made Plain and Clear. The book of Revelation is absolutely the most important book 
that we have in the Bible. And if you're thinking, how can you say that, Pastor? Because it is the only book of the Bible where a promise is given at the beginning that those who read it, who hear it, and study it are especially blessed. That's amazing when you think about it. And, of course, the book of Revelation is especially important for you and I as believers, recognizing that the time is short. Jesus is coming back for his church. You know, one of the things that um, I I think that we fail to realize is the fact that um, all of the players are in place, and that's important. When you see what's happening in Syria and all the nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38, and Ezekiel 38 and the sixth seal of Revelation, when you read the book, you'll find out they're exactly the same thing. I mean, the wording's almost the same. But Ezekiel 38 is uh, concerning all these nations that are coming against Israel from the far north. And they're there. Right now, they're there. Every one of those nations. I don't know how that could be just coincidental. And they're coming against a nation of unwalled cities. And, of course, Israel... Uh, even though it has some walls along its borders with Palestine and like that. It's basically an unwalled city. And uh, actually, an unwalled city means unprotected. And they are. They're the size of Rhode Island in the midst of uh, Arab nations that hate them. And the thing that we have to realize is that probably the biggest fulfillment, the greatest fulfillment of prophecy isn't these nations gathered against Israel, it's the immorality of our world. Because Jesus is coming back to take his church out of the world because God's wrath is going to be poured out on the world. And God's wrath will not be poured out until his church, his bride, is taken out, but it's going to be poured out because the iniquity has reached its fullness in this world. And we got into it a little bit last week in the portion that I was covering from Leviticus. But we're living in probably one of the most immoral times. I think we are living in the most immoral time of all of world history. And you think of the fact that, um, we, you know, I'm not getting into detail, but, you know, uh, incest and bestiality and... and um, um, you know, just all kinds of sexual perversion and so forth is just flooding in our nation. It's, and, and a lot of people don't realize that, like we talked about last week with bestiality, there's a whole bunch of uh, states in this nation where it's perfectly legal. And you can read articles about, you know, just all kinds of awful things that are becoming more and more acceptable you know, in our nation, and not only in our nation, in our world. And so we see the immorality of this world becoming ripe for God's judgment. And one of the things that I, was, that I bring out in, in the book, Revelation Made Plain and Clear, is the fact that there have been a lot of teachings in the book of Revelation that have not been logical, nor do I believe biblical. And in the past, you had someone who took the book of Revelation and felt that you go from here to here to here to here and back and forth to where it made the average person think, I can't read that book. I don't know when to go back and forth or what this means or what that means. And they get very confused. When in reality, the book of Revelation is in 100% chronological order. 
You know, there's a theological term called the law of first use. And when the law of first use is used properly, it's wonderful. And what the law of first use is, is when something is presented for the first time in the Bible, the same meaning is all through the Bible. So whenever you see that occur all through Scripture, that meaning would be exactly the same. But we had, way back when people were starting to draw attention in a good way to the book of Revelation, people weren't even you know, concerned with it. They set out certain standards that have been taken as the law of first use that everyone uses still to this day. And, for instance, they, they teach that the seals are uh, an overview of the whole book. And so, therefore, you've got to go back and forth. And they also believe that the rapture takes place after the letters of the churches because the multitude that's, that's in heaven, although it clearly says that multitude are angels. And it's not until uh, the opening of, um, you know, the sixth and the seventh seal that you have the church raptured from every tribe, nation, tongue, and language. And so the seals, I know this is kind of off my topic, but I think this is important because we're living in very perilous times. The seals that were put on any document, read Jeremiah. He sealed a document. And it says very clearly that this uh, scroll that is in the hand of him who sits on the throne, is sealed with seven seals inside and out. The outside seals were an indication that anyone could look at these seals and know, yeah, this is the scroll. This is the scroll that was sealed. This is the scroll that is determining this legal document. But then the inside seals, no one could see. And the only ones who would know whether those seals were right or not would be those that were involved in the contract. In this case, the Lord, the church, and Satan. And so the first four seals are all about wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famine and earthquakes and all these things that we've seen since the fall of man. Those are the outward seals that anyone can look at and realize, yeah, this really is the scroll. But the inner seals are the ones that only the Lord, the church, by prophecy, okay? And Satan knows. Because Satan knows the Bible. Did you know that? It tells us Satan knows his time is short and therefore he goes out. Why does he know his time is short? How does he know his time is short? From the Bible. And so the fifth seal to be opened, the souls under the altar, at that point they're given white robes. That's when the rapture takes place. We're clothed in white robes when we're raptured. And the souls under the altar have not been, because Jesus brings with him the souls of those who have fallen asleep in him. Read 1 Thessalonians. And then the dead in Christ rise up, meet their souls in the air to be with Jesus. The dead in Christ rise first. Then you and I who are left, okay, and still alive at this time, we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, receiving glorified bodies, and we will also rise up to meet the Lord in the air. And so what I'm saying is so often we say, what's going to be the, 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 the real sign of the rapture? The question is, what will be the real sign of God's judgment falling on earth? And that is the rapture. And so when we just look at the geopolitical situation in the world today, 
we, we recognize and we understand that you, know, that you have Russia, Iran, and Syria, and you have Turkey that's come in there now just as was prophesied. And all these nations are gathering together to come against uh, Israel. The only thing I believe that's stopping them from making this move, because Iran has even uh, moved missiles into Yemen to strike Israel. How many of us know because we don't hear the real news? Do you understand that? Even when you go to Fox, you're not hearing your real news. You're hearing politics. But how, how many of us know that for almost a week now, the Israeli Defense Force has been on high alert expecting an attack? But I believe personally that the reason Russia hasn't come in, the reason these, this confederation of nations haven't come in to attack Israel from the north, as the Bible prophesies, is because of the United States. But what if the objection of the United States was removed? How could that happen? The rapture? If the church was raptured? For one thing, we know our, our vice president is a born-again Christian, so he'd be gone. And if the church was raptured, you know, a base of morality in this country, this pro-Israel, would be gone. And whether President Trump would be impeached or who knows what, the next in line in government is Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. That is, that's the, you know, it's President, Vice President, Speaker of the House. I, I think at that point, the United States would not have any objection, would not try to interfere with those nations coming against Israel from the north, which, of course, is understandable. They wouldn't. But what they fail to realize, that according to Ezekiel 38, these nations are going to come against Israel from the north. And guess what happens? God supernaturally intervenes. It's time for his wrath to start coming on an unrepentant, ungodly, God-hating world. And so fire is going to come down from heaven, and it's going to kill all those troops coming against Israel, and it's going to go into their capital cities and those living safely in the coastlands. The world is going to be changed after the rapture in Ezekiel 38. Totally changed. And we can't even imagine exactly what it's going to be like. But Israel, of course, is going to be thinking, well, they're, they're going to know it was God. It says that they will know it was God that intervened in their behalf. And all these nations that have been such a problem... They're gone. All these Muslim nations that have come against Israel and Russia who's come against Israel, you know, you know, all these nations that have come against they're gone. Their capitals are wiped out. Those living safely in the coastlands could be us. Fire is going to come down from heaven as well. And so the whole landscape changes and the tribulation has begun. And what I'm here to say, brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us very clearly, no man knows the day nor the hour. But it also tells us, you brothers are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief in the night. We're not in darkness. And so we have to understand that Jesus Christ could come back for his church any moment and so many people think, oh, the rapture, how could that be? You know, that's, that's just too supernatural. That's too crazy. Well, it's because for so many years in our schools, they've taught evolution. 
See, if you take away the supernatural power of God in creation, you take away the supernatural power of God. But as a believer, knowing that every single thing that there is was created by God, and if he has that kind of power and ability, he can change my body into a glorified body and rapture me. Or if I die before that, he can raise me up, give me my glorified body, and take me to be with him in the air. Is that clear? Is that simple? And so we have to realize that we're living in that time. And I'm not sharing this to scare you, because what is it called in Scripture, the rapture? What's it called? The blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To me, it's the blessed hope. Because think about it. We look around at the world. We watch the news in great despair, you know, and, and we look around at what's happening and all the immorality. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, you feel like you go out in the world like you're just being diseased. You know, it's so gross, the immorality. What a hope of knowing Jesus is coming back and he's taking us out of this world and that his judgment will fall on a degenerate, God-rejecting man. Now, for those of us that might be thinking, well, isn't that kind of cold-hearted? We're going to be gone and God's judgment's going to be coming. Well, you have to remember that after the rapture of the church, one of the greatest revivals that this world has ever seen will take place. Thousands and millions of people will come to Jesus Christ because of the rapture. And you say, why do you say, why do you think that many? Well, there has to be quite a number of people if Antichrist is going to work out some kind of a numbering system so he can identify believers and set up a whole execution process in order to get rid of them. He's not going to do that for 25 people. That's going to be a vast number. And so I know I really got off uh, course with my message this morning, but this has just been so pressing on my heart because we have to understand that Scripture makes it very clear that people are, many people are going to be caught unaware. And we think of the, of the sleeping virgins, the ten virgins of Matthew. You guys know which one. You know there are ten virgins and all ten were asleep. All ten were asleep. And what were the virgins doing? They were waiting for the bridegroom. It was the custom of that day. Because the bridegroom would come at an hour that no one, no one really expected for his bride. It was just the way it was. And so the bride had to be in her chamber. She had to have her wedding garments ready. But then the bridesmaids were the ones that would be out on the road watching. And so when the groom would come with his groomsmen, and, and, and they would come with all kinds of music and joy, then the bridesmaids would trim their lamps to see, and oh, it's him, and then they would go to get the bride ready. It was all ready for the, it's all about the rapture of the church, that whole portion. Well, what happened is all ten of the bridesmaids fell asleep, all ten. And all ten of them woke up, and they were aware of what was going to happen. But when they went to trim their lamps, in other words, turn it up so, you know, it have more light, Five of them didn't have enough oil. And oil in Scripture has always represented, represented the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the foolish, they went to trim their lamps up and bloop, they went out. There wasn't any oil there. The wise trimmed their lamps up and there was plenty of oil because their lamps were filled with oil, the Holy Spirit. 
And so the unwise said to the wise, please give us some of your oil. And they said, we can't give you any of our oil. It just doesn't work that way. And they said, you need to go out and get your own. But of course, while they were out getting their own oil, the bridegroom came and they went in to the banquet and they were left out. Even though they came to the door, let us in. It's too late. You're left out. But the point I'm making is that in this parable that, Je- that Jesus gave in Matthew, even the wise were asleep. I think we're asleep. I think the church is asleep. You know, the church is more concerned about who's going to win the next political election or, you know, whatever it might be than they are about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming soon. At any moment. And we have to be willing to be his servants right up until that time he comes for the church. Now, I'm not talking about us quitting our jobs and running up and down the streets, you know, sharing the gospel, because we actually have a portion of scripture where Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, because what they did is they thought back then, Jesus is coming. So they sold everything they had, and they went and they all camped on the top of a mountain so they'd be closer to him when he came to rapture him. And Paul writes to them and says, hey, wait, (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. You go back to work. Be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Because the greatest ministry that we have, listen, brothers and sisters, the greatest ministry we have is right where we are. Right where we are. At work, at school, you know, whatever it might be, at your retirement gatherings, whatever. Right where we are is the greatest ministry that we have. And so you don't have to sell everything and go wait up on a mountaintop. Because blessed are we who when, you know, the master comes back, he finds us at work doing what we're supposed to be doing. Not like the foolish who went off playing. And so my only point that I'm trying to bring out is because of the nearness of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be sober, awake, and vigilant in doing the work of the ministry. And how we do that is, number one, we're supposed to be a peculiar set-apart people. Now, I don't mean that we go and we shave our heads and we wear white robes and go around with signs, placards saying the end is near, you know, repenting. That's not in Scripture anywhere. What I'm talking about is we're different. We don't do the immoral things the world does. We're not involved in the immoral things the world's involved in. And they see that. But we also make the most of every opportunity to share our faith. You know, I I know you're not supposed to direct things back at yourself it's incorrect when you're giving a a sermon or whatever but just as an example uh, I had to have a week ago a chemical stress test because my knees aren't strong enough to do a stress test and I despised the whole idea of having that I really didn't like the idea of, 
well, I had a whole thing. They had to put a radiation bullet in me to settle in my heart to do a 3D thing. And, and then I had to, they put chemicals in your body. It makes you breathe, you know, like hard to breathe and your heart's pounding like you're running. I, I despise the whole thought of that. But then there's this little waiting room that you sit in in the back because the whole procedure takes four hours. And I'm sitting back there and I had a chance to share my faith three different times with one person who'd never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ and with two people who have kind of just, I'm talking people my age, who kind of walked away from the Lord. They grew up in the church, were in choirs and this and that, but just got discouraged and walked away. That was my time of evangelism. And so even though I despised going to get the chemical stress test, that was exactly where the Lord intended me to be. And so what I'm saying is you don't have to go running around, what can I do, what can I, you know, set, where, are, where are you right now? That's exactly where the Lord intends you to be. But the thing is, we have to be willing to open our mouth. I mean, I didn't sit down in, in that little waiting room with silly gowns on and stuff. I didn't sit down in that little silly waiting room and say, hey, are all you people saved? Anybody want to hear about Jesus? You know, they would have been like, ooh, this guy's a little off. I just sat there. And then conversations come up, you know, and, and, and it would go this way, and then all of a sudden, there's the opportunity. The Lord made the opportunity, and you just share and that's what he wants to do with each one of us, because the time is near. You know, I, I think we are very remiss, and we make a huge mistake when we think, oh, that's off sometime in the future. That's off sometime in the future. Because then we're like the, the, you know, the bridesmaids who are asleep, the virgins it's called in Matthew, the ten virgins, but they were bridesmaids. We're like the ten virgins who were asleep in Matthew. You know, we're just not... You know, I think it's a wonderful thing to have fun and enjoyment in life. But that shouldn't be our main thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Our main thing is the fact that we're servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're ministers of the gospel. And so what we have to do as believers in the times in which we're living is we have to make the most of every opportunity. We have to do the work of evangelists. And we have to, above all, honor the Word of God. No matter what the world is saying, we have to honor the Word of God. The world is saying... This perversion's okay, that perversion's okay, it's all right to do this, it's all right to do that. The, the Word of God says no. And so we have to honor the Word of God. And I'm not talking about, I think sometimes these Bible thumpers do more harm than good. You know, going around, get saved, get saved, you idiot, you know, get saved. And, and I think they do more, more harm than good. Because the greatest example we have of evangelism is in Scripture. And so we have to understand that the last Old Testament prophet was John the Baptist, who said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But where was he? He was out in the wilderness by the Jordan, 
He wasn't running through towns beating people. He was just out there preaching, the, and, and the Lord brought the people. Well, he was the last Old Testament prophet. In the New Testament, we have the present abiding Holy Spirit within our cardiac, our heart, our inner man. And so what we need to understand is let the Lord bring the people. Let the Lord bring the opportunities. Let it happen, you know, just naturally. Because there's not a greater responsibility than sharing your faith. And getting back to what I mentioned earlier, because some people say, oh, I've shared my faith with tens and hundreds of people, and not one of them has gotten saved. Well, number one, you don't know, right? And number two, those might be the people that get saved after the rapture because the seed's been planted, and the rapture occurs, and the world's going to try to explain it in all kinds of ways. You know, well, the aliens came and stole them out of the world. or, or we're, And this is an actual theory, okay? This is an actual theory out there that there's going to be the, a new evolutionary uh, process, new evolutionary upgrade. And all those who are not able to take part in this evolutionary upgrade are going to be gone. That's not a Bible theory. That's, that's, that's a, a crazy theory that's out there. So you can see the excuses are already being made. But how many people who, that we have shared the gospel with, when the rapture comes, they're going to be saying, it was all true. It was all true. Everything those people said, it's true. And that's why, I mean, we have such an urgent responsibility to live holy and godly lives that we might be able to be witnesses because he's coming. He's coming for his church, and you can't look around the world and not realize. Let me just say this one last thing, and I'll, I'll close this in prayer. There is nothing that has to occur before the rapture of the church. Nothing. But something has to occur before Ezekiel 38 takes place. And that is, he who restrains will restrain no longer. And I believe when the church is raptured out of the world, Russia and all those nations are going to feel that freedom to come in. And the thing we have to understand, they're there right now. We're not talking about something hundreds of years away or even tens of years away. They're there right now. And when the rapture occurs, it's going to be like a floodgate being opened. But the good news is, they don't win. They don't get Israel. God gets them. And it's going to lead you know, to a great awareness. One-third of all Jews come to know Jesus Christ during the, the tribulation. I mean, I know it's sad that two-thirds don't, but one-third do. It's more than we have in this nation. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you, Lord, for your word and for the truth that we find in it. And I pray that what you've had me share with these, your people, Lord, that you would uh, encourage them, encourage them to truly do the work of evangelism until the day you come and take us out of the world. And then we know you're going to have a whole new set of evangelists traveling through the world. Father, give us faith, give us hope, and encourage us in all your ways. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And I know it's going to be out of order, but I promise you I will go over uh, Leviticus 21. We'll do it next week. God bless you guys.